Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. On this episode, we're going to share with you a story that first aired several years ago, but that is heartbreakingly relevant again now. It's a story about a man named Drew Lanham. Drew is an ornithologist and an avid bird watcher. He's also black. We like to think that nature is colorblind, that out in the woods, everyone is equal, that the mountains and rivers and forests are a place to get away from the injustices of society. But it's not so simple. The events that have been unfolding across the United States over the past weeks have driven home once again that simply being outside carries risks when you have dark skin. On this episode, producer Jackie Sajiko brings us a story about trying to do something you love outdoors when you are a person of color. I'll let Jackie take it from here. When I go camping or hiking, I don't really have to think about it. I just pack up and go. But that's not something everyone can do. About a year ago, I saw this video called The Rules for the Black Bird Watcher. I'm not sure how I found it because I am not a bird watcher, but I really liked it. It's this really funny and sharp look at being black in the outdoors. And it made me realize that not everyone has the same option to be so carefree. You know, there are essential tools for birding. They're your binoculars, your spotting scope, your field guide. And if you're black, you're gonna need probably two or three forms of ID. Never wear a hoodie, ever. The word for an African-American in camouflage is incognigro. The guy in the video is Drew Lanham. He's a lifelong bird watcher. He made this video because being a black bird watcher is kind of complicated. Here's Drew in real life. When I come out of the woods and um, if I happen to, you know, stop at some store or something and you're anything but unnoticeable because a black man walking around in camo sticks out, I may as well wear hot pink. It's not just annoying to stand out like that. Drew also gets extra scrutiny from security guards and police officers when he's birding because they think he's somewhere he shouldn't be. That's why Drew really does carry three forms of ID with him all the time. Once I was actually in a vehicle with a student of mine, and we were on the way back from a field site, and we were pulled over for no apparent reason. We were coming back through this county called McCormick, and a state trooper trailed me for a while, and he sidles up to the car and, you know, kind of greets us and asks for my ID. And I give him both my driver's license and explain that I am there with my student to do research. And I I asked him, I said, well, what's wrong? Was I speeding? He said, no, you weren't speeding. He said, you were following the car in front of you too closely. And he said, so what are you doing way down here? And I explained again, well, I was down here for research. And then I pulled out my university ID and showed it to him. He looked in at my student who is quiet. Um, And he said, well, um, you know, you're a long way from home, so just be careful. Drew wasn't even that far from home. He was only about an hour away. Drew is used to this kind of interaction with law enforcement. 
He's been pulled over so often, he can't remember the first time it happened. But this time was memorable. I always remember that incident because there was someone there to witness it with me who was able to see that, you know, sometimes you get pulled for no reason at all other than maybe who it is that you are. So back to bird watching. Drew's been fascinated by birds since he was a little kid. It sounds weird, but he even thinks of himself as a bird. Drew grew up on a farm in rural South Carolina, and he spent a lot of time outdoors acting like a bird. I spent a lot of time as a kid jumping off of buildings or, you know, rooftops of the house and off haystacks in the barn and off of ladders and out of trees. And I made wings out of cardboard. And so I was sort of this little brown Icarus. Um, And luckily, I only I only fractured my collarbone and all of that. Drew decided that if he couldn't fly like a bird, he would do the next best thing. He would study them. And then I could sort of travel vicariously through those through those birds to other places in the world that I wanted to go. And he became a little obsessed. As a kid, he spent all his time bird watching, like as an eight-year-old. Luckily, he found a best friend in elementary school to share his obsession. Carl Montgomery was really kind of that first person who shared this passion with me. They went to the library and school book fairs together and get the same bird books and bird guides. And I just want to say this one more time, they were eight years old. They were not your typical bird watchers. We would compare notes on the birds that we'd seen. And I would go home and I would call him and he would tell me what he had seen and I would tell him what I had seen. Drew remembers the moment he knew he was really in deep with the whole bird thing. It was in the second grade. My teacher, Ms. Beasley, who looked just like the Ms. Beasley doll, she handed out these mimeograph sheets and they had the outlines of birds on them. And the bird that I got was a northern mockingbird. And of course, mockingbirds are common across a good portion of the United States. I mean, you know, not spectacularly brilliant birds, mainly tones of gray and and white and, and kind of little black accents in the wings. And so I took out my fat red second grader pencil and began to shade the bird in the colors that I remembered the bird being. And my desk mate, um, Frances Williams, she took out her fat second grader crayons and began to make the mockingbird look like a painted bunting. And that horrified me. (laughs) You know, I was either destined to be an ornithologist at that point or to be a really non-creative person who could not imagine beyond reality. Drew decided to try the ornithologist route. He went to college and got a degree in zoology. And then he decided to get his PhD in wildlife ecology at Clemson University in South Carolina. Growing up, Drew noticed he was different from other bird watchers. It wasn't just that he was young. He was also a person of color. And it seemed like he was the only one, the only bird watcher who was black. He wasn't totally wrong. According to a survey by U.S. Fish and Wildlife from 2011, 93% of birdwatchers are white. When he was growing up, being black didn't seem to get in the way of his birdwatching. But then he got to grad school, and something happened that changed things for Drew. Drew was about to start fieldwork for his thesis project. He was going to go up to Franklin, North Carolina, into the mountains to study how forest fragmentation was affecting migrating birds passing through the area. 
I had a project design. I had the proposal done, had the design laid out, the field work planned. And a few nights before I was to begin my field work, I saw a news program about white supremacists who'd moved into the area and they showed pictures of them shooting um, effigies of, of black people and, um, and, and other people that they did not like. And um, I remember being, I was afraid. I was, I was at that point very afraid to do my doctoral research, you know, something that was supposed to determine the rest of my life. And Drew felt torn because on the one hand, he felt like his life was in danger. There were people in the place he was supposed to do his field work who made it very clear they didn't want black people there. And they would be very violent if they met a person of color. It, it was the Church of the Creator, which is uh, like, <laughs> at that point in time, they were, they were much more violent than the KKK was. On the other hand, this was his thesis for his PhD. Getting his PhD was key to following his dreams and becoming an ornithologist. And this tiny little voice in his head was telling him, if you don't go, you're kind of a chicken. He spent the next two weeks trying to decide what to do. I can remember, you know, just agonizing over it and just, you know, my just my insides feeling like they were just turning round and round and round because I felt like on the one hand that I was going to be putting myself in danger, but on the other hand that I was going to be letting (laughs) somehow letting um, science down or not science so much as maybe being a coward and not being worthy of being a wildlife ecologist or worthy of being an ornithologist and that I was taking the easy way out. In the end, the Church of the Creator got what they wanted. They scared Drew away. He decided it just wasn't safe for him to go into the woods in North Carolina to do his research, so he abandoned that project. That decision still bothers him. I remember kind of feeling ashamed about that dissertation project. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was afraid. You know, I I took up birding in part because as a kid I was enthralled with with flight. And, and birds flew freely without anything other than feathers and the intention to do so. And um, I kind of wanted to do that. I wanted to travel where birds traveled. I wanted to be as free as birds were. And it angers and saddens me sometimes when I know that I can't or that I shouldn't. Nature is supposed to be an equalizer. When you're in the outdoors, you're supposed to be away from other people, away from their biases and prejudices, away from acts of discrimination. But for Drew, it wasn't working out like that. The woods might be colorblind, but the people in the woods weren't. And because of that, he wasn't welcome in the place he loved most. Drew didn't give up entirely. He abandoned that first project, but not his career. In the end, he changed his thesis project and went to South Carolina instead, where he studied bird populations in forests that had recently been clear-cut. He finished his PhD. He graduated and he became an ornithologist. 
Today, he's a professor of wildlife ecology at Clemson. But he still doesn't fit in exactly. People aren't overtly hostile, but they often don't believe him when he says he's an ornithologist and a bird watcher. <laughs> you know, I was at a hawk watch once and people were there and we were watching these birds and um, I started identifying hawks from a distance and talking about the ecology of these birds. And I actually had some of my students with me and I could see people sort of taking their binoculars down and looking at me because here's this black guy with um, this, this mostly white or, or all white class of students explaining um, birds to them. And um, they seem a little incredulous. Like because he's black, he couldn't possibly be a knowledgeable birder. Their reaction is kind of understandable. Drew is still one of the few people of color birdwatching, so he knows he sticks out. But understanding why people stare at him doesn't make it any less hard. You still feel like an outsider, misunderstood and alone. For a long time, Drew didn't have anyone to talk to about getting stares and getting stopped by police and security. But then, just after he turned 40, he went to this conference. It was for people of color working on the outdoors. There were hundreds of participants, park rangers, hikers, fishers, and a birder named Dudley Edmondson. There was this black guy doing the stuff that I was doing. And so seeing him was like seeing a hero. It was like seeing a mentor, even though we're the same age, basically. Do you remember the first, like, meeting and talking to him for the first time? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like you wanted, to, you wanted to talk about your whole lives. It was kind of like a reunion that had never happened before. It's like meeting some long-lost cousin. He was out there and loving the same things, and we could talk about nature, but then we could go a level beyond that and talk about, you know, our existence, our lives as Black men, um, and that made a difference to me. Drew is still one of only a few Blackbirders. All of those warnings he gave in his video, like carrying three forms of ID, never wearing a hoodie, those still apply. He still feels a little on edge. Being Black affects Drew's relationship with nature. It's not something he can ignore, but he doesn't let it define his relationship with the outdoors. He goes outside when he wants to. He does the things he loves most, and he surrounds himself with people who share that love. I was out this morning with a friend, and we were watching wood ducks swim around in this mist-shrouding lake, and uh, just absolutely beautiful birds kind of swimming in and out of these banks of um, of, of fog rising off the, the lake and into these shafts of sunlight. And I think we both kind of marveled in this bird. And we got to talk about not just that bird, but we got to talk about what we were doing in our work for a little bit. And we got to talk about, you know, just kind of who we were. So this mist is rising and these wood ducks are swimming around and birds are singing in surround sound and... We call that finding the sweet spot. And that is a sweet spot when you can revel in the beauty of birds and grow closer to the people that you're watching them with at the same time. You get to share little bits and pieces of your life with the person that you're with. You know, it doesn't get any better than that to me. Drew 
Nature isn't the equalizer we might imagine it to be. We bring all of our social and cultural baggage about race and gender with us wherever we go, including into the wilderness. Maybe especially into the wilderness. Drew has made his own space outdoors. He has to if he wants to do the things he loves, like birding and hunting and camping. He didn't start out trying to make a statement about being a black guy who loves the outdoors. He's just trying to be himself. But sometimes that's where change comes from. People just trying to be themselves. That was Jackie Sajiko. She's a producer at Stitcher, and we have a link to her professional website at our website, outtherepodcast.com. Before you go, I want to say something very clearly. Out There stands with the Black community and with everyone who is working to dismantle systemic racism. Change starts with every single one of us. We have plenty to learn and lots of work to do, and we are committed to doing that work and showing up for racial justice, both indoors and out, now and in the long term. We commit to listening to Black, Indigenous, and people of color, both inside and outside of the out there community. We commit to getting informed by educating ourselves. We commit to making space for and amplifying diverse perspectives and experiences in the stories we tell and the people who tell them. And we commit to diversifying our team. We've started to detail the ways we are listening, learning, and taking action on our blog, and we've shared some resources there to help you do the same. And perhaps this goes without saying, but you can expect to hear much more about this from us in the days and weeks and months to come. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Ben Montoya is our production intern. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you next week. <laughs>